who's got a story from the holidays that we would just start talking about to open up here? Oh, actually, I've got one. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It's just a story. It's just a story. Yes. Great. So for Christmas, Susie and I took the kids out to her family. They live out in Minnesota, and the kids wanted to go sledding while we were there because Colorado has been very alpine desert this winter. And so we're in this little, I mean, this hill is all of 10 feet of vertical because it's the Midwest, right? Like, that's, that's a pretty big hill, actually. We're sledding in their backyard, and I'm getting kind of bored of it because it's a small hill. So I start sledding, like, head first and backwards, and then the kids start doing it. And what happens pretty quick is that Jack sleds head first into a tree. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, parents of the year award. So I go running over there and and he's got this red mark and he's sitting up and he's rubbing his head and he's, he's not like quite sure why this has happened to him. And I'm quickly doing my like diversion technique of like, Jack, this tree, it used to be sideways and you hit it and now it's straight up and down. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, I don't think I want to do that this way anymore. <laughs> He's three. I'm like, yeah, buddy, that's probably a good idea. Oh, I'm thinking of Dallas Willard's line. Reality is what you hit when you're wrong. That <laughs> seemed to hit reality a lot. <laughs> Hey, friends, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of January 17th. We're early in the year. My son, Sam, Alan, Arnold, John Eldridge here, doing what human beings do, which is tell stories. And I I bet that a lot of you did that over the holidays. If you were seeing friends or catching up with family, even if it's Someone in your regular life that you haven't seen for a couple of days, it's always, hey, what, what's up? Yeah. How you been? What's going on? And the stories start flowing, right? Mm-hmm. What we want to talk about today is how stories make sense of our lives, how important it is to sort the story out. And when you get caught up in stories that aren't helpful, how, man, it just really ties you in knots. Stories are the way we navigate life. In fact, I was reading a novelist, Paul Kingsnorth, British guy living in Ireland, and he says this. He says, humans are storytellers. All day, every day, we use narratives to try and make sense of the ongoing confusion of reality, and of the business of being human. Mm. Obviously, being a therapist, and Sam, you are in training yeah, to become a therapist. This is the province of priests, pastors, therapists, spiritual directors, and frankly, right. any good friend. We were actually talking about this last night in grad school, and the question was, how do people change? And some people went around and they said, oh, I think pain. I think we're mostly pain avoidance, and that's the only way we change. And somebody else said, I think adversity, like we experience a challenge and then we change. And the, the story was my answer. I was like, I think it's the story that we've either lived or have constructed from the past or the story of ourselves that we have this idea or the story of the future. There's a certain kind of father I want to be. This is the person I am or that I mm. was and, and all the complexities. And mm. there was a little bit of like, hmm, going, going <laughs> around. 
Yeah. Yeah, because if you get with a friend or you need to talk to your priest or you go to counseling, the first question is, well, just just tell me the story, right? Hey, I'm really wrestling with anxiety. Hey, I'm really wrestling with my marriage right now. Hey, I'm really concerned for my son. Well, tell me the story. Right. It sounds so natural that like, I almost have to imagine a different way to go. How weird would it be to walk in and somebody say, so what are the facts? And you'd be like, okay, I am this years old and I did this on this time. And it would feel so disjointed. You could give all those facts and then you'd still say, but you don't know who I am or you don't know why I'm here. Yes. And we feel so separated when we fill out those forms, those questionnaires where anything that feels like it's going to be in depth just begins to become story. We need to like fill in those gaps. Otherwise I'm like, yes, I'm pointing the sky. I'm not a constellation. Yes, that's good. In fact, okay, so I was catching up with a friend over the holidays, and she was telling me about some victory that she had gotten in her life, and it had to do with with her childhood story and the narrative that she had been holding on to for Mm -hmm. many years was that she had kind of the American childhood, the idyllic childhood, that it was Father Knows Best, for those people who remember that show from the 60s, <laughs> just dated myself. <laughs> but her point was this, that she had held on to a very idyllic view of her childhood and then couldn't figure out why she had developed an eating disorder. Hmm. And it was only with the help of a good trained person who lovingly was able to bring her into a clearer understanding of the story to actually get out of the false narrative, but also to find Christ in the story as well, the redemptive presence of Christ. And we were just catching up over the holidays and she was just saying, man, what a difference it's made. And Now I'm putting words in her mouth, but what I would say was to get out of the bad story or the wrong story or the Mm -hmm. incorrect story Mm -hmm. and get into a a clearer view of things Mm -hmm. was really, was really liberating for her. Mm. Yeah. I see that on a small scale every day with my kids where we're not watching them 24 seven and there'll be a cry in the other room and we'll go in and the story is how we understand everything. You know, we've got a a little boy and a little girl and they often hurt each other and you have to begin piecing out, okay, what happened? Okay, was that on purpose? Oh, you actually, you bumped into her on accident and then she fell. Like, you're both needing comfort. You're both like needing reconciliation versus, oh no, you came at her with some scissors. Like, it's going to be very (laughs) different. So there's a lot of that being walked out on like the smallest scale, which feels like, Little hurts, little relational interactions between Mm. toddlers. So how much more does it matter for our adult lives and the the grander meta-narratives? Yeah. Yeah. Funny that you should mention meta-narratives because people who write in this sphere, whether they're social analysts or philosophers or, you know, cultural pundits have been observing for a long time that we're in a period where the world has, quote, lost its story. Mm. I think I shared an article with you years ago. Neil Postman wrote a brilliant article called Science and the Story That We Need. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about with the technological revolution 
we've had so much information coming at us from so many directions. It's just staggering how much information is available these days. I mean, it's just again last night, you know, somebody recommends NAC for brain health and for immune system function. I think it's NAC. What? Yeah, it's an amino acid. Uh, but see, we're all expected to know what that right. is. Exactly. Right. Well, that's so. What did I do? You, I Googled, Googled it. it. Yes, and instantly here's four studies on what it does and doesn't do. So, <laughs> we. The point being, we are in the midst of just this tsunami of data and information coming at us, and we don't know how to weave it into a grand narrative. That mm -hmm. was Postman's point right. in the article that he wrote. We have all these facts, but the facts are not anything close to a grand narrative. Mm -hmm. And and without meta-narratives, without a big story mm -hmm. that helps you make sense of the unfolding story of your life, so you really you really get lost and and you look for it. We were just compelled to find it. And so, you know, you get a political leader, you, you get the rise, for example, of a Lenin or a Stalin and millions of people saying, this is the story, this is the answer, this is the meta narrative that explains human existence, right? And then people follow that. I like what he's comparing our political leaders to. This bodes well. <laughs> this is, I this had to is use a dated example. Yeah, yeah. Well, way to yeah. choose an easy one. <laughs> Because if you get close to anybody's treasured stories in these days, whoa, man, you get a a lot of upset. But another novelist, Simon Sheridan, said this, societies run on stories, not on facts, not on science. Societies run on stories because human beings run on stories. And I was trying to figure out this fall my mental exhaustion. I think everybody's experienced some levels of mental fatigue. You just don't have quite the capacity to memorize things that you used to. You can't easily recall stuff that you read the day before, right? Not me. I've been having a lot of NACs <laughs> lately. <laughs> uh, why, why the mental fatigue? I was, really, I was really shocked at my level of mental fatigue. And finally, through some reading, through some conversations with people, with the help of God, what I realized was it had to do with the pandemic, and it had to do with there has been such narrative schism around the pandemic. There's two, there's two different stories, and, and it's really hard to sort out truth from fiction on either side, and I was trying to reconcile the two. Mm. And what helped me understand my fatigue was the memory of grief. When people go through a significant loss, it, you know, the folks who just lost their houses here in the Colorado wildfire, the loss of a loved one, a dear grandparent, you know, traumatic event, the brain tries to make sense of it. But death in particular is something that you don't quote, make sense of. It's wrong. It was never meant to be a part of the story. Yes. And we don't have the internal toolbox for it. And people who understand the story that I'm describing, when you go through grief, when you lose someone dear to you, it is exhausting, among other things. You just find yourself utterly exhausted. 
And the exhaustion is because your brain is trying to make sense of the narrative Mm. and the narrative doesn't make sense. So I remembered that from my experiences and it helped me make sense of the whole COVID thing. Now, folks, hang on. This is not a COVID podcast, (laughs) but I'm just pointing out we're living at a time where there's so much information and and counter information and one story and another. And it's, it's absolutely exhausting. And as we think about living well into the new year, as we think about kind of getting our bearings and getting our orientation, we want to ask ourselves, what's the story we're living in? Guys, I think what I'm most fascinated by when we talk about this whole grand narrative or the fracturing of narrative is I just know that the world runs on stories and you know, even before I came to Wild at Heart, I was a fiction publisher, published over 500 novels, worked with storytellers, and have always gravitated to good stories my whole life. And I think what I'm seeing today, which is troublesome, is there no longer seems to be agreement with almost anyone on what story we find ourselves in. It's like, some people think we're living in a comedy and some think we're living in a tragedy and some think it's, you know, the, the plague of all plagues and, and whatever the name that they give the story and the interpretation mm-hmm. that dictates the rest of the chapters and the way that they live out their life. And what I've seen is, you know, because it's never been easier to find your small tribe through the internet, through social media of any kind, there's like thousands of stories now that people are all living and none of them align with each other, but we're all in each other's story. And so to me, that's been a very, I guess, troublesome thing because John, to your earlier point, like countries and civilizations, the thing that held them together was they all embraced a story, a common narrative. And now there is no common narrative. And yet we're all somehow in a story that nobody agrees on. It feels like we've been heading towards this point long before this past couple of years, this pandemic we've been experiencing. When I look at like, okay, let's zoom out from nations and civilizations and go like, how about Christianity? Like there's a story that the Old Testament presented. There's a story that the New Testament presented and when I was in college, I remember going to a Christian university where we were like almost tallying the amount of new denominations by the day. Like you were, we're just watching this fracturing of, hey, here we all are at this university. It was a small school. There's about 1,200 students. And it was a guarantee that you were probably the only person there that really had that kind of flavor. And I remember in our Christian doctrine class, the the first day, the professor asked us all these questions and like you had to kind of raise your hand if you like, what do you think about this about Jesus? What do you think this about the Trinity? What do you think about this about the body? And you're like, oh, that one's me. And afterwards he went through and how every single one of those was some kind of heresy. And he had just like that they were slightly off and everybody had raised their hand at a bunch of them. And it was just this really interesting going of like, okay, have we been even as Jesus followers watching this trajectory of splintering and fracturing. And I mean, we used to tell jokes about like the Baptists from the Southern Convention versus Northern Convention calling each other heretics. Like, I don't know them doing the joke justice, but that sense of, 
I feel exhausted these days, Alan and Dad, because I don't know that I see the world the same way as my neighbor. But I, I think that we all thought we did two years ago, but we probably didn't. Mm. And now there's less and less skin protecting us from like, I just feel very thin and very aware of, oh, whether I'm having a conversation with a believing friend or with a neighbor, I, I don't know that I'm going to find a lot of commonality in many areas. Yes. And that makes me feel very vulnerable and very alone and yes. very exhausted because I'm hypervigilant. Like as a human being, I'm called to community. Like I find safety and belonging and meaning with others. And that's been stripped away. The thing I felt the most meaning at in the last two years has been the community pool because I think there we like enter this like agreed upon sense of like we're all going to pretend that this is the 1980s in America and we're just going to like blast rock and roll and eat pizza. And I'm like, this is great. I, I yes, sign we me up. We can all agree on this right now. I will totally put the blinders on and go into my fake reality for an afternoon. And golly, speaking of fake reality, right, the introduction of the metaverse, and you can create the reality you want now to live within. So, gang, this isn't, this isn't actually about any of that. What I'm simply pointing out is, Sam, you said it's vulnerable and exhausting to live at a time of narrative fracture. Mm -hmm. And nothing could point that out more than the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic literally has split the church. Churches have split over in-person, online, mass, vaccines, all that, mm -hmm. you know. And so you can see, whoa, this has been such a divisive thing for the world. And depending on the narrative you have seized upon, that's your story. And what we're talking about going into a new year, thinking about your life, how you want to live this year, is coming back to the story of God, how important it is to just sort of be aware of the story that you're living in. For example, yesterday had the dogs out for a walk and a woman drives by in her car. She's alone in her vehicle and she has a mask on. And I felt so badly for her because of the symbol of fear that was there. Now, you can get on the CDC and look this up. You can call the World Health Organization. I, I'm going to make a medical statement that's safe. You cannot get COVID driving in your car by yourself. So therefore, you don't need to wear a mask in your car. That's not, that's not how COVID is transmitted. It's not what the SARS virus is. Okay, it's a respiratory thing. It's translated through human fluid. So so here's this poor gal driving alone in her car with a mask on, but it was such a symbol of, oh, she's in a story. It's a story with a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. and, and it's the story that some people have named the plague story. And, and the fascinating thing about the plague story, by the way, is it seems to be pretty deeply imprinted on the human brain because Hollywood keeps rolling out those things and novelists over the years have written, you know, the plague story, right? And, if you're in the plague story, that is the story. That is the defining reality. And I just felt badly for her. I felt badly for her fear, for her isolation, for, for how that had become. Apparently, I'm making assumptions, but it sure looked like it from the data, sort of the defining narrative mm. of her life. 
Would you say that you've also seen people who are adopting the opposite narrative and who act with a bravado, they're, they're out and about, and they have almost like a finger to the world, and you look at that and go, okay, you have a, a lack of kindness and grace towards others. You go, oh, you clearly also have a story that you're walking out and that you are swinging the other way in this pendulum. And we, I feel often like I'm in the middle of a conversation. Like I, there's lots to be understood on one side and the other. And yet there is this, each have like this gravitational pull to like own this story and yes. see the world through this lens. Yeah, and and it's the fragmentation that breaks my heart, right? That And so this is the novelist, Kingsnorth, again. He says, human history could be seen as a never-ending series of battles over stories, with the winners determining who shapes society, at least for a while. The ongoing culture war in many Western nations is a classic example of this narrative struggle at work. Who gets to write the history of America or Britain? Who decides if a statue stays up or what it means? The battles around these stories are so ferocious precisely because they are seen by many people as existential, as filled with meaning and import. That statue, that history book, that museum display, for many people, these are not just static objects. They're symbols right? The battle over which will determine who, quote, we are, what we teach our children. Mm. I just thought that was a really mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. way of naming, wow, man, that's right. The hostilities, the high emotions, we're just, we're in a period of story collapse and story competition. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then going back to on a personal level, on the friend I was chatting with, catching up over the holidays, how she had found such breakthrough by getting out of a story that was not true and, and getting back into the redemptive story of Jesus in her life had really brought joy, freedom, life, which is the direction all of us need to head. And in order to get there, we just have to name, wow, man, this is a time of... Story collapse and story competition. Hmm. If we're not really paying attention, it's easy to think, well, there's story A or B, and it's this extreme or this extreme. And, and the reality is sometimes if you don't see God active in either one of those stories, you're going you're gonna to go off the cliff, whichever of those stories you pick, because it's not about this human story in our wisdom and brilliance and science and whatever. And it's not the other story of, you know, what we know from our facts and our intuition and, and beliefs. Like I find for myself, if I start going down one trail or another and neither has a God worldview, deep presence in it, I'm just going to find myself empty on one path or another. Well, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's emotionally exhausting. So it was what I was asking Jesus for his words over my year. We talked about that a couple of podcasts ago, how it's a good thing to do at the beginning of the year. What are you saying, Lord? Do you have a verse? Do you have some guidance? Do you have some words of counsel for me? And one of the things he said was, you can't live upset. Hmm which kind of busted me, yeah. right? Because <laughs> like jokes on you, I did that for the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
living in a time of such narrative war keeps a person in a constant state of upset. And Jesus is saying, you can't, you can't live there, John. That, and, and as soon as he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. Yes. Yes. It's exhausting. There's nothing redemptive about it. I mean, you shall know them by their fruits. There's, there's nothing filled with hope, joy, love, peace, nothing about that. But I, I was living upset and was finally able to identify it as my own personal sorrow over all the fracture and trying to make sense of it. And also my upset over people embracing stories that really have nothing to do with God. So I can get away from the the COVID thing for a second and say, here's a really popular story right now among some of my closest friends. I'm going to call it the speed bump story. Mm. Yes, we have hit some rough times, but history is filled with rough times. Soon, this will be over and things will be back to normal. Okay. And what frustrates me about that story is that it's a variant on the progress story, which has ruled the West for the last couple hundred years. The progress story is we can conquer through science, life will get better for each generation, trust the experts. And what I want to say is, yeah, but what do you need God for? If we're just going to fix the world again through science and technology and the experts, there's nothing about the story of God and his pursuit of the human heart, the story of God and what he's doing at this moment in the world. And I know it looks like a really good story to embrace, the speed bump story. It's like, hey, chill out, man. Things are okay. We'll be back to normal in a minute. But I think the friends of Jesus are supposed to be dialed into the Jesus story and how it applies to their current moment. John 15, Jesus says, I've called you my friends because a master doesn't let his servants know what he's doing, but I've let you in on what I'm doing. You're not just my servants, you're my friends. And so as we align in love for Jesus, as we come to trust him with our lives, we come into friendship with him, and friendship with him means dialing into his story. What are you doing, Jesus? Whether it's in my friend's life right here, you know, what are you doing in my community? What are you doing in my world? What are you up to, God? And the speed bump story of, hey, we're going to be fine, man. Just chill. Everything's going to be back to great. We get this thing figured out with science and we're back on track. It just has no place for the hand of God, the redemptive role of God. To be fair, this is fairly consistent of you. I'd say you were this way 20 years ago. You'd be like, <laughs> you were you were so mad at people's small stories. That, that used to be like a term that was used a lot. You're like, are you hoping and focused on your sports team making it to the championships and winning? Like, yes. is, that, is that what you want? Well, yes, you know, and Liverpool bit. tied Chelsea <laughs> and Manchester City is pulling away and they're going to lose the Premier League. I'm glad you've found some balance. <laughs> Uh, but there's an element of like that extends beyond just this moment. There's, there's, I think, for, especially for you, there's this cry of, well, the speed bump tells me that what your hope is is that the mall is going to open and I can go back to getting Chick-fil-A and yeah. seeing a movie on a Saturday. And I wanted that so bad last year. I was like, I just want to like 
wander around and look at stuff and not necessarily buy it and get a pretzel from Annie's and go see a movie I don't want to see at two in the afternoon and like feel terrible and it's going to be great. That's all I want. And what I'm aware is like the stories, like we're a pile of stories, right? Like I'm not just one story and it's going to get kind of tricky for me because there's like the the fragmenting of them. But then there's also like all the little ones I tell myself in a day, whether it's the friend who says, I'm okay. Or if suffering happens to me, then I did something wrong. I deserve it. Or no, those who believe in Jesus and the friends of Jesus should just be inheriting wealth or like the prosperity type mentality of like, no, if we just name and claim it, then we'll receive it. There's all of these little, and even deeper for me in a given day, I'll go kind of mess up my parenting with the kids or with Susie in our marriage. And I'll have like, again, a little, there'll be a suggestion for the story in that moment. We would say that's the enemy suggesting an agreement, but it would be like, Oh, you're actually a bad father. You should never have let Jack go down the hill headfirst yeah. in the slide. And the accusation jumps in and then it just... You're a bad father. Yep. And then in any day, regardless of a pandemic, regardless of the mall opening or not, I feel like there's all of these mini contests for who am I and what is my suffering and what is my identity and what kind of man am I? Like all of that's being contested all the time. And so then you drop me in the waters of... I don't know that I don't feel safe with people because I don't know what's going to trigger them. I don't know. I don't know what they're hoping for because of the story fracture. Because of the larger stories. Because yes. of the larger story fracture. Yeah, where I'm like, I don't know that we're all hoping in the same thing. I don't even know what I, I don't even know what I'm hoping for. Sometimes I think sometimes I'm just hoping for summer. Yes, and that's not exactly very Christ centered. Yeah, I think what we're all naming too is whatever stories though we do choose, those shape us and. One of the things, John, when you're talking about Jesus and story, like one of my favorite passages that reminds me why story, why does it matter, was uh, Matthew 13. And I'm just going to read this really short passage from the message. The disciples come up and ask Jesus, why do you tell stories? And Jesus replies, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everyone has this gift or insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward a welcome awakening. And then it concludes, that part concludes with, all Jesus did that day was tell stories, a long storytelling afternoon. His storytelling fulfilled the prophecy I will open my mouth and tell stories. I will bring out into the open things hidden since the world's first day. And to me, that's a very anchoring way to see story. Like, why does Jesus tell story? Why is why does the world run on story? Why is most of Scripture story? Because it's a way to bring out into the open the way things really work that have been hidden or lost Mm. since the first day. Let me follow that with a quote back from Neil Postman's essay, Science and the Story That We Need. He says this, But in the end, science does not provide the answers most of us require. Its story of our origins and of our end 
is, to say the least, unsatisfactory. To the question, how did it all begin? Science answers, "Mm, probably by an accident. To the question, how will it all end? Science answers, "Mm, probably by an accident. And to many people, the accidental life is not worth living. Moreover, the science God has no answer to the question, why are we here? And to the question, what moral instructions do you give us? So, Sam, as you were describing even the fight in the story of what's my identity? What's true about me? What's unfolding here? Why am I experiencing suffering or setback or heartache? Story is meant to help us with that. So, gang, here's what we're saying in January of 2022. It would be a good idea to check in with yourself and with the help of the Holy Spirit and to ask, what is the story that I'm living in? What story has has grabbed me? If you find yourself upset or living upset often, if you find yourself in fear, if you find yourself angry at others because of their version of the story to just say, whoa, wait a second. And, and here's some things that will help you do that. Who's the bad guy? Who's the bad guy? Who's the hero? And where does hope lie? If you just like, just bring those questions to it. Who's the bad guy? Oh, the bad guy are the scientists, you know, no, no, no. The bad guy are the unvaccine. They're the bad guys or the bad guy. Oh, the bad guy is the Republican party. No, Biden's the bad guy. Or you see what I'm saying? Like that will help you pretty quickly. Who do you think the bad guy is? Because the Christian narrative makes that very clear. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. I mean, this can transform a marriage, by the way, when the two of you realize your spouse is not the bad guy. They're not. The Christian narrative helps us orient and locate evil in the world. Who's the hero, right? Oh, the hero is, you know, our political guy when we finally get him or her in office. Or the hero is the new economic boom that's coming. Or, and then the big one is, where does hope lie? What am I looking to for hope? And so what I want to do as we close this, I'm going to read Psalm 23 I'm going to riff on it a little as I do. And I want you guys to react to this in terms of, is this the story that that I feel myself caught up in? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In other words, Jesus is still the hero of the story, still deeply involved in my life and in my world, guiding, leading, providing. I mean, that's just the opening sentence. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. In other words, I don't have to figure life out on my own. Yes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, yes, we are 
passing through dark times. There is real evil in the world, but God is still protecting and comforting. I'm not navigating any of this on my own. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In other words, God has a feast of goodness for us, even in rough times. He fills our heart's deepest cravings. And finally, surely your goodness and love will follow me, chase after me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My reality is not determined by pandemics or politics or any of that. I live in God and his kingdom. He lives in me. His goodness is with me today, and my future is absolutely wonderful. Just an honest reaction to that. Well, that's not my reality that I spend most of my time in, unfortunately. And you'll never get those words from the nightly news or social media. So I, as you read them, it just reminds me, I, to get into those words, I actually need to spend more time with God meditating on those truths than on the latest development or the big announcement on the news each night, because that will never bring the peace that I just felt when you read those words. Mm. Yeah, I similar, Alan. We say those words with our kids every night as part of our bedtime routine, and I think I say them almost like describing a painting. Like, I can see it, I can describe it, but it's a painting. I've never actually been there. Yeah. And I want it to be true, but I'm looking at the, the lilies of Monet, and I'm going... Yeah. There's something, there's a disconnect. There's something keeping me from fully naming that story over my reality. Yeah. So Jesus says to me, John, you can't live upset. As one of my words coming into this year. And gang, all we wanted to do was name the narrative fracture that's going on. Name how exhausting it is and invite you to think about, pray about, yeah, what is the story that I'm living in right now? Who's the hero? Who's the bad guy? What am I hoping for? I think it'll really help. Maybe even memorize Psalm 23 early in the year as one step towards narrative grounding. 